The simple idea that I'd like to present to you today is this. The Christian life starts with sitting. Welcome to the Plainfield Christian Church Podcast. We hope that the message today encourages you. For additional resources to inspire you in your journey with Christ, go to plainfieldchristian.com. Enjoy today's podcast. Open your Bibles with me to the book of Ephesians. The book of Ephesians is where we're going to be, chapter one. Uh, Ephesians is actually more of a letter than a book. It's a letter that was written to a, a church in an ancient city called Ephesus in the Roman Empire. And this letter was written by a guy named Paul, who is one of the leaders of the early churches. And we're going to be spending the next six weeks going through his letter there to the church in Ephesus. And we're calling this series Sit, Walk, Stand, uh, based on a book by that same title by a man by the name of Watchman Nee. Now, Watchman Nee was a, a Chinese preacher in the early 1900s. He was in prison for his faith, and he wrote this amazing book called Sit, Walk, Stand through the book of Ephesians. And so the simple idea that I'd like to present to you today is this. The Christian life starts with sitting. The Christian life starts with sitting. Uh, now, most of us here in the room today live full lives. My guess is that for most of you, um, you're not just sitting around twiddling your thumbs trying to figure out what to do with your time. Um, my guess is for most of us, the greater problem in our lives is not boredom. It's most likely busyness, that our time just gets sucked up running from urgent task to urgent task, and the to-do list grows longer and longer and longer. And this is kind of hardwired into our American mentality. I think a lot of us grew up with parents who would kind of wag a finger at us and say something like, hey, don't just sit there, do something. Did anybody else hear that from their parents or was it just me? Yeah, don't just sit there, do something. And if you have teenagers, maybe you've even heard those words come out of your own lips. And yet today, <laughs> today, I believe that the Apostle Paul in his letter to the Ephesians wants to remind us of just the opposite. In fact, I think he wants to give us the challenge. Don't just do something, sit there. Don't just do something, sit there. The Christian life starts with sitting. And so for the first two weeks of this series, we're gonna be talking about sitting. We're gonna be talking about sitting under God's power and sitting under God's grace, remembering our position in Christ, resting in what Jesus has done for us. And then and only then, from that place of resting in the good news of what God has already accomplished, then we can move from sitting to walking. And walking is how the Bible describes our life in the world as believers. And we're gonna be talking about what that looks like, how to walk together and how to walk in light and how to walk in love. And then we'll close this series in the same way that Paul closes the letter with a challenge to stand against the enemy. Sit, walk, stand. But today, the Christian life starts with sitting. Sitting and remembering the good news of what Jesus has done. Because actually the Bible tells us that at this very moment, right now, Jesus himself is sitting down. We, we just read this in Ephesians chapter one, verse 20. Paul says that God raised Christ from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly realm. So Jesus right now is sitting down. He's sitting like a king on his throne. He's sitting like a judge ready to announce his verdict. He's sitting like a teacher who has authority. Back in Jewish culture, actually it was the teachers who would sit down and the students would stand. Some of you teachers think that sounds pretty good, don't you? But the Bible says actually primarily Jesus is sitting 
as a priest whose work is finished. Now, you might remember back in the Old Testament, for the Jewish people, they had priests at the temple, and the priests had to offer sacrifices over and over again for the sins of the people at the temple. And if you were a priest back in the Old Testament, you didn't get to sit down very often because those people just kept on sinning, and so you had to keep on offering more and more sacrifices. And yet the Bible says that Jesus is our great high priest and that he offered one sacrifice once and for all on the cross of himself for our sins. And after that, look what happens. Hebrews chapter one, verse three says, after he had provided purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty in heaven. Hebrews describes later on why Jesus sat down in Hebrews chapter 10. It says, day after day, every priest stands and performs his religious duties. Again and again, he offers the same sacrifices which can never take away sins. But when this priest had offered for all time one sacrifice for sins, he sat down at the right hand of God. And since that time, he waits for his enemies to be made his footstool. For by one sacrifice, he has made perfect forever those who are being made holy. Jesus is sitting down right now. And the reason that Jesus is sitting down is because the work needed to save you from your sins has already been done. Everything that has been needed to do has already been accomplished. Jesus said on the cross, it is finished. And so he's sitting down and the Christian life starts right there. The Christian life starts with sitting. It does not start by saying, hey, you should do this. It starts by saying, hey, it has already been done. Just sit down. Enjoy what Jesus has accomplished for you. And and Paul goes on to say actually that, that we also are seated with Jesus. Ephesians chapter two, he says, and God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus, in order that in the coming ages he might show the incomparable riches of his grace expressed in his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. Don't just do something. Sit there. Sit there and remember what Jesus has done. A mentor of mine and I, we, we talk on the phone every week and for the last couple months we've been challenging each other to start each morning just sitting in God's presence. Before you run to your phone, before you go to the to-do list, before you even cross your Bible reading off of your list, just sit with God and remember who he is and what he has done. And it's not easy to me, to be honest, because I'm I'm a type A person. I've kind of always got the to-do list going in my head. Some of you in the room are kind of like that. And so the danger for us then is if we skip this step, if we skip the sitting and go right to the walking We start walking and and doing what we think a Christian should do and trying to live the Christian life. All right, I should probably quit smoking. I should quit swearing. I should be kinder and more patient. I should forgive that person who hurt me. I should definitely quit yelling at my kids, probably try to be a better spouse. And we try to start doing this and doing what we think a Christian should do and walking and following these rules and just trying harder to do better. But the problem is it doesn't stick, does it? And it definitely doesn't change our hearts. Uh, There's a teacher by the name of Tim Keller who talks about this, and he says that if we jump right to the doing, if we jump right to the behavior modification, it's like trying to bend a piece of metal. Now, I don't really work out. I'm not very strong, right? Like, I got the dad bod going on. But let's say that I wanted to change the shape of this music stand. 
I could give it my best effort. And there's a, there's a couple different ways I could try to change the shape of this music stand. On the one hand, I could, just try to, I could just try to bend it. I can bend it a little. I'm not very strong, but I can bend it a little. And if I was stronger, I could bend it more. And I can bend this music stand and it's changing shape a little bit. And you know what? It'll stay just like that. I can change the shape of this music stand as long as I'm grabbing on really tight and don't let go. But as soon as I let go, what happens? It goes right back to its previous shape, right? So if I, if I wanna permanently change this music stand and change its shape, the best way to do that would be to, to melt it down, right? And, and then I could mold it into whatever I wanted it to be and it, it would stick. And the same thing is true for our spiritual lives. When we start right with the walking, right with the doing, right with the changing, I, 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 I gotta be better. And we just work really hard at it. We try to just muscle up and do it by our own strength. Well, it doesn't last, does it? because our hearts are still hard. And so before we jump to the walking, we have to start with the sitting, just resting in what God has done and, and remembering who we are in Christ and what he has accomplished on our behalf and, and who he says we are. And, and then from that place, he begins to melt our hearts and to soften us and, and to change us to be like him. The Christian life starts with sitting. For example, um, pull into your mind right now somebody who absolutely drives you nuts. Somebody that's just really difficult to be around. And if you can't think of anybody, I've got several people I could share with you if you need someone. Be happy to point. See, and this, guys, this would be the point where I normally make fun of Steve, and I can't do that now. So I just wanna share my angst with you this morning, okay? I'm, I'm grieving here, all right? But, but pull into your mind that person with you, right? That maybe it's somebody in your family, somebody in your work. Maybe that person even happens to be sitting right next to you. Lucky you, don't throw any elbows, don't make it too obvious, okay? But somebody in your mind who just like, when you know when you're gonna be in their presence, it's just gonna be tough. You just gotta buckle up and get through it. But you wanna be a good Christian, right? You wanna be like Jesus, and so you ask God to help you. And, and, and the next time you go into their presence and you're with that person, you just kinda, you grit your teeth and you swallow hard and you get through it and you try to be really nice and you try to be really patient to them. And, and lo and behold, even when they annoy you, you don't spout off. Good job, well done. And then finally, when it's over, whew, got through that. Hey, I feel pretty good. I held it together. I didn't spout off at them. But the problem is, you also didn't change your heart toward that person at all. See, this is what happens when we start with walking instead of with sitting. Now, some of you will recognize the name of the Archbishop Desmond Tutu. He's a wonderful Christian man, uh, just a fierce man of God, a leader in South Africa. He died just a couple of weeks ago. It was world news. And uh, Desmond Tutu was just this spiritual giant. He would start every day by just sitting in God's presence for hours in prayer. And he was known even as he went throughout his busy days after that to just periodically pause and stop and, and pray about whatever was going on. He was this person who's just deeply at rest in Christ. And you could tell he had just sat with Jesus for so long. And then from that place, he was able to walk out and do incredible things for God. Desmond Tutu won the Nobel Prize in 1984 for his nonviolent resistance against the racist apartheid regime there in South Africa. And some of you will remember this, a decade after he won the Nobel Prize, when the apartheid regime finally fell, the world was kind of on edge. 
because they thought there was just gonna be all this racial violence. There was gonna be all kinds of, of, of bloodshed because it's a country intention. And so when all of these black people who had been oppressed were finally free from that, they figured that they're just gonna turn it around and, and start oppressing the white people who had oppressed them. And, and there's just gonna be all kinds of violence and bloodshed. This is what the world was braced for. And yet shockingly, in the mid nineties, it didn't happen. And it didn't happen because Christian leaders like Desmond Tutu stood up and they said, there's gonna be no more bloodshed. And Desmond Tutu led the South African Commission for Truth and Reconciliation in the mid-90s where he brought together victim and oppressor to talk and to figure out what the truth was and to work together toward peace. How could this man do that? How could he live in such a radically countercultural way? How, how could he love like that after he'd been oppressed so much? It was because he'd sat with Jesus and he remembered who he was in Christ. And from there, he was able to walk forth with God and to stand against the enemy. You know, one of our greatest privileges as pastors is to get to hear your stories. Um, it is just truly an honor when you let us in on your lives and when you tell us even the messy parts. And for so many of you, I've heard amazing stories of, of the really painful things you've gone through, stories of loss and abandonment and unfaithfulness, stories of being betrayed by the people you trusted and hurt by the ones who are supposed to love you. And in these incredibly painful stories, over and over and over again, I've heard so many of you say things like, you know what? On my own, I could never love that person. And on my own, I could never forgive what they did. And on my own, I could never trust again. But God has been so kind to me and he lives in me and I know how he has treated me every time that I sinned. And so by his grace, he's given me strength day by day to love like he loves and he's giving me the grace to forgive all over again. Wow. I mean, that's amazing. That's, that's what it means to sit with Jesus, to rest in what he has done and that gives you the power to walk. So for the next two weeks, we're gonna be talking about sitting we're gonna talk about sitting under God's grace, but today I wanna to talk about sitting under God's power, where we get that strength. Man, I wanna focus in on two prayers that the Apostle Paul prays here for the early Christians, and these are two prayers that we as your church staff and elders, that we're gonna be praying for you over this week. And the first prayer is found here in the first chapter of Ephesians, verses 15 through 23. Um, this is Paul's prayer for the church that they would know God's power. This is actually kind of his thesis for the whole book. And Paul prays this. He says, for this reason, ever since I heard about your faith in the Lord and your love for all God's people, I've not stopped giving thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers. I keep asking that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation so that you may know him better. Hope you know that's our prayer for you too. We don't want you to just like coming to church. We don't even just want you to get involved in what's happening here. We don't even just want you to believe that Jesus is the king in your head. We want you to know him. Paul says, I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he has called you, the riches of his glorious inheritance and his holy people and his incomparably great power for us who believe. Some of you need to hear that this morning. Paul's saying to the church, hey, I hope you know the hope you have been given in Jesus and I pray that you know that you are God's inheritance, that you belong to him and I pray that you would know his power, Paul says. 
He says that power is the same as the mighty strength he exerted when he raised Christ from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly realms, far above all rule and authority, power and dominion, and every name that is invoked, not only in the present age, but also in the one to come. And God placed all things under his feet and appointed him to be head over everything for the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills everything in every way. Paul wants us to know God's power, to sit under God's power. And in case you look at your own life or you look at what's going on in the world around us and sometimes you doubt God's power, Paul reminds us that the eternal proof of the power of God is the death, the resurrection, and the ascension of his son, Jesus. And we talk about the death and the resurrection a lot because the Bible talks about it a lot. We're gonna talk about it every week. And, and, and so when, when the Bible wants to remind you about God's love and prove God's love for you, they point us to the cross, The New Testament writers in places like Romans chapter five, verse eight says, but God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Some of you may wonder like, what what does God really actually feel about me? Could he possibly really love me? And the New Testament writers would point right at that cross and they'd say, yes, absolutely. The eternal objective proof of the love of God on your behalf was displayed in the death of his son. The death of Jesus is the proof of God's love. But when they wanna prove the power of God, They point to the resurrection. Places like Romans chapter one, verse four, says that Jesus was appointed the son of God in power by his resurrection from the dead. That means that the greatest power ever unleashed on this planet was not an earthquake or a hurricane or a tsunami or a tornado or a volcano or an atomic bomb. The mightiest power that the universe has ever seen was God raising his son Jesus from the dead. And not only that, the Bible says, Jesus also ascended back up into heaven where he is now, seated at God's right hand, reigning over everything. Paul says in verse 21 that Jesus is far above all rule and authority, power and dominion. Verse 22 says God placed all things under his feet. Jesus, at this very moment, is enthroned as the king. And he is the king over all governments, all nations, all diseases, all life, all death, all good, all evil, all spiritual powers, all nature, all presidents and kings and universities and solar systems and 10,000 things that mankind has not even discovered yet. And Jesus is the king over all of it. And not only that, verses 23 through 23, he says that God placed all things under his feet and appointed him to be head over everything for the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills everything in every way. The head of this church was not Steve White, and the head of this church is not Luke Proctor, and the head of this church is not the staff or the elders. The head of this church always has been and always will be Jesus, our King. And that will remain true long after you and I are gone. The resurrection of Jesus and his ascension to the throne of heaven is the proof, Paul says, that Jesus is the king over everything and everyone. And I hope with all my heart that you believe that. And yet I think from our experience, we know that there's a difference in believing that up here and then truly sitting back and resting in that reality and integrating this belief into even our emotional makeup And so Paul prays here. He prays that we would sit under God's power to rest in God's victory. Sit under God's power to rest in God's victory. And for some of you, the idea of resting in God's victory 
is a difficult sounding thing. It's a foreign sounding thing because maybe you're a person that if you're honest, you're just kind of prone to worry and anxiety and fear. Scientists actually have shown that there are some people who are genetically predisposed to worry. They've even identified the worry gene. It is gene SLC64 on chromosome 17Q12, in case you were wondering. And they said the people who have the short version of that gene are more prone to worry than people who have the long version of that gene. What that means right now is that there's a portion of you who are really worried that you have the short version of that gene. <laughs> and you do. <laughs> you know, years ago, there was a furniture upholsterer in San Francisco who noticed something strange. He went to reupholster some chairs in the lobby of a cardiologist's office when he noticed there was something odd about the furniture. You see, only the front of the cushions were worn out. And only the first few inches of the armrests. And so eventually some doctors, they, they put the pieces together and they discovered that many of their cardiac patients suffered from chronic unrest and anxiety. They couldn't even sit all the way back in their chairs. And some of you know what that feels like. And that's a hard thing. I hope you know there's absolutely no shame in it. And we as your church family, we wanna come around you. We wanna listen. We wanna hear your stories. We wanna speak God's truth and his hope into your life. But we also want you to dig deep because part of our job as Christians when those feelings come bubbling up within us is to peel back the layers of the onion and to start probing our hearts and figure out what's beneath the surface there. Because for each of us, we have these beliefs in our head, right? These things that we know are true and that we genuinely desire to rely on. But then there's also these deeper things within us called trust structures. And trust structures are what you actually rely on when the rubber meets the road. And sometimes situations happen in our lives that bring our trust structures to light. For example, maybe the belief in your head is that, uh, yes, Jesus will provide. But your lifestyle proves that actually the trust structure in your heart is that you take more comfort in the numbers in your bank account. And maybe the belief in your head is that, yes, Jesus is enough. But your lifestyle demonstrates that the trust structure in your heart is actually that you're bouncing around from relationship to relationship looking for fulfillment. And maybe the belief in your head is that, yes, unity in Christ is important, but your lifestyle reveals that the trust structure in your heart is actually, yeah, but I'd rather hang on to the way I like to do things. And Paul is actually living this out for us. He's showing us that this resurrection power should not just be a belief, but it should shape the trust structures of our hearts because as Paul is writing this letter to the Ephesian church, he's in prison in Rome. His neck is on the chopping block. His, his life is at stake, and yet he is continuing to affirm the power and the victory of Jesus. So Paul's saying, hey, I want you to sit under God's power long enough that it moves from your head to your heart and it begins to reshape the trust structures of what you actually rely on. And I think we've, we've seen this play out over the last couple of years, haven't we? One of the things I've learned during this season is that these situations of turmoil, these seasons of upheaval, they don't so much present new problems for us as they just bring to the surface the problems that were already there all along. And so we've seen that for some of our dear Christian brothers and sisters who have fallen away or who have found themselves riddled with anxiety and anger and exhaustion, that has revealed that there was a lack of faith-formed trust structures within their hearts all along. Last summer, I got to sit in a room full of pastors 
And as we went around the circle one by one, we just heard the same stories over and over and over and over again. Stories of churches splitting and dividing over petty issues, stories of Christian brothers and sisters leaving the church or even abandoning the faith, stories of fear and anxiety and exhaustion. Until finally, one of my preacher friends, he just hung his head. And he said, you know, I thought the resurrection would have made more of a difference than it did. And that floored me. Because it should, shouldn't it? So, so I guess if you're, if you're tired today or if you're, you're scared or if you're struggling with doubt or some kind of spiritual frustration, my encouragement to you is the same. Don't just do something. Sit there. Sit there and allow the power of God and meditating on what he has done and raising his son from the dead. Allow that reality to reshape the trust structures in your heart. And actually, we put together a, a little companion here for this series that we wanna help you to sit under God's power. The team put this together, and this is a little booklet that goes along with our sermon series. I hope you grabbed one on the way in. If not, I hope you'll grab one on the way out. And in this little booklet, you'll find some discussion questions and some places to jot down notes about what God is teaching you. And you'll also find the whole text of the book of Ephesians split up into responsive readings like we did earlier. Because we want to be a church with a Bible in one hand and a basin in the other. And we want you to have God's word in your home. But we know that sometimes it's, it's hard, it's awkward, you don't know where to start, how to bring God's word into your marriage and in your parenting. But we want you to read these responsive readings out loud. Read it with your friends or with your group. Read it with your spouse. Read it with your kids. Let your kids read portions of it. And, 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 and we, you can do it however you want. There's six chapters in the book of Ephesians, so maybe you can do one every day of the week. You can go through the whole thing six times over the course of the series, or maybe you can just drill down deep and say, we're gonna do chapter one over and over and over again this week. Whatever it is, we want you to use this as a way for you as a family just to sit under God's power and allow him to shape the trust structures in your heart. And as you do, our prayer, like Paul's, is that you would rest in God's victory, that you'd realize what the resurrection means for you, that the resurrection of Jesus means that God's power can save anybody. And the resurrection of Jesus means that God's power can restore even your distant marriage. The resurrection of Jesus means that God's power can rescue you from addiction. The resurrection of Jesus means that God's power is not threatened by political turmoil. The resurrection of Jesus means that God's power can sustain you through depression. The resurrection of Jesus means that God's power is stronger than any workplace tension or financial insecurity. The resurrection of Jesus means that there's no such thing as hopeless. And so as you sit under God's power this week, our prayer is that you would rest in God's victory. That's the first prayer. And here's Paul's second prayer for the church. Ephesians chapter three, verses 14 through 21. This is what he prays. He says, for this reason, I kneel before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth derives its name. I pray that out of his glorious riches, he may strengthen you with power through his spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. And I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, may have power together with all the Lord's holy people. And what's the power for, Paul? To grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ. And to know this love that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. Now, to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine according to his power that is at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations, forever and ever, amen.
Paul prays that we as a church would not only sit under God's power to rest in God's victory, but that we would sit under God's power to know God's love, to know God's love. We talked earlier about how the cross, Jesus' death on your behalf is the eternal proof that God loves you. And I hope you believe in your mind that Jesus loves you. And I hope you also know God's love experientially in a deep way. I mean, the Bible, the, the concept of knowing, to know, is a really intimate thing. The, the Hebrew Old Testament word for know is yada. Say that with me. Say yada. And, and, and it's an intimate kind of knowledge. In Genesis chapter four, verse one, it says, Adam knew his wife Eve and she conceived. Yada, it's this intimate relational kind of knowledge. And so Paul is praying here that we would know God's love. And to know God's love, he says, we have to sit under God's power because trying to mine the depths of God's love on our own is like trying to empty the ocean with a teaspoon. And that's why Paul doesn't just say here, hey, remember, Jesus loves you. He makes it a prayer because he knows we're gonna need supernatural help here, that we doubt God's love and we have trouble understanding. So he's saying, God, you know our fickle hearts and we know that your love by its very nature is beyond our comprehension. But we also know that your ability to give exceeds our ability to ask. So Father, we ask that in all of your universal power, you would leverage it to help us understand your love. And that's our prayer for you. Wherever you are today, whatever you're struggling with, whatever your battle is, whatever problem you're facing, my challenge to you is the same. Don't just do something. Sit there. Sit under God's power to know God's love. Uh, this is an old preacher illustration, but bear with me, okay? Take a look at this picture. Uh, this is a picture from the inside of my car. Now, tell me, which one of these is bigger, that coffee cup or the car out the window? The coffee cup, obviously, right? It's way bigger, obviously. It's so much bigger than that car, from my perspective. Of course, we know that the reason that coffee cup looks bigger than the car out the window is that I'm sitting closer to the coffee cup than I am to the car, right? And so today, if your problem seems bigger than God's power, and if your doubt seems bigger than God's love, and if your fear seems bigger than God's victory, it's not that your problem is bigger than God's power. It's that maybe you're sitting closer to your problem than you are to your God. And that when you sit with him and you sit under his power long enough, it's not that God gets bigger, it's that you realize just how big he's been all along. And so, we take this cup. This cup that is the heartbeat of our community. And we hold this cup close week in and week out. And we remember how utterly powerless we were to save ourselves. There was nothing we could do. And so we don't do anything. We just sit here and we receive his grace. We're gonna take this little piece of bread that represents the body of Jesus, the same body that was beaten nailed to a cross and laid in a borrowed tomb so that you and I could be forgiven. And we're gonna drink this little bit of juice that represents the blood of Jesus, the blood that spilled from his body when the crown of thorns was jammed on his head, when his back was shredded by the whips and when the spear pierced his side. And we're going to remember that the power of God 
has been used to demonstrate the love of God on our behalf. And we will rest in this victory and we will know this love. So I'll give you a moment to take the bread on your own and then we'll take the juice together. Thank you for listening to the podcast today. It's our desire for you to grow in your understanding of Christ's love and our mission to love all people to new life in Christ. If you would like to receive our podcast every week, we encourage you to subscribe to the Plainfield Christian Church podcast on whatever podcasting platform you prefer. Have a great week. Thank you.